Good morning, everyone. Paul from the innovation community here. Today, I'm with Elizabeth Hollinger from Agreco. Having cut her chops at Deloitte, Elizabeth now heads up data, insights, and application development with a, a strong focus on internal collaboration. Uh, great to have you with us, Elizabeth. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Just tell us a bit about yourself in a few words. Sure. Um, so I head up, I'm Director of Insight at Agreco, as you said, head up our data and application development teams. And really what we're trying to do at Agreco um, is convert the organisation to an insight-driven organisation, really putting data and insight at the heart of decision-making. So we're a centralised data team um, who support our overall global business. Um, so it means it's pretty interesting. All of our data is centralised and we, we use it to solve a variety of business problems. Um, so that's what we do. And where did your career in data start? Sure, so um, I studied maths and stats at uni um, and I always loved um, working with data. When I left university, um, I went on to study to become an actuary. Um, people said, if you're good at maths, you should go on and become an actuary. And at that time, the phrase analytics or data science wasn't particularly used very much. So I started my career in the actuarial industry working for Aegon, a life insurer. And um, did some of my exams with them, um, worked on stochastic modelling, all kind of data-driven roles, um, before leaving them to go and join Deloitte, where I worked for around about eight years. And in Deloitte, I had a variety of roles. I, I started in their actuarial team, um, carrying out typical actuarial tasks, still with a bit of a focus on data and modelling. And then I moved into Deloitte's innovation hub for a period of time and started to extend my knowledge into the different technologies that were utilising at that point the phrase analytics started to be used a little bit more and we were starting to think about cloud-based technologies. And then eventually I moved into our technology consulting team in Deloitte and led our work across public sector before joining Agreco two years ago. And, and you touched on it briefly, um, but what are you up to in your current role? So yeah, so as I said, our ambition is for Agreco to become an insight-driven organisation. And just for a little bit of context for those who aren't familiar, Agreco are a world leader um, in temporary heating, power and um, temperature control. So essentially we power um, things like the Olympics or the Super Bowl, as well as providing power to oil and gas sites in the middle of the North Sea when they aren't connected to a grid. And also providing power in humanitarian crises. And actually most recently we've been supporting the NHS um, with a number of generators and, and air control systems in the temporary hospital structures in the Louisa Jordan and the, the Nightingale hospitals. So kind of lots of different use cases that we have for our data um, and then the kind of problems that Agreco solve across the globe. So in terms of what we do then, so, so we really just try to help our business to use data to solve business problems. And our overall ambition is to accelerate delivery of value of our Agreco strategy. So we look at our strategy every year and we start to think about where are the places we could utilise data to be able to solve some of the problems that our business are facing and help to start to add value, really putting insight at the heart of decision making. So there are kind of three main areas that we cover in the business. The first of all are our assets and how they operate. So thinking about those big generators and when we switch them on, how do we just make sure they're operating as efficiently and as safely as possible? So that's about how often we service them. Um, it's about how often we replace parts, about condition-based maintenance and about predictive um, maintenance as well, making sure things don't fail and you get ahead of them. So that's one thing we do. 
The other thing we look at is our logistics and how we get our assets to where they need to be. So we're a global organization, we operate in over 100 countries, and we need to understand when an asset's coming off rent from one location, where's the best place to send it next? And then the last thing we think about um, are sales, customers, marketing. What is our price elasticity? How does that vary by country, by sector? Um, who are our most profitable customers? Where should we be focusing effort or not? So it's really those three things that we look at um, across the, the um, data that we collect. Our assets, the logistics of those assets, and our customers' sales and marketing. And you touched on Nightingale there, which is something I want to talk about. For those who don't know, Nightingale is a, a temporary hospital that was uh, put up in East London uh, with, the, with the NHS and some military support as well. Uh, it's super interesting. How is your really role and more importantly, how is Agreco really helping with the COVID response? Can you go a bit deeper into that? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'll focus a little bit on the, on the UK um, at the moment and just what we've been doing here. So at the start of the COVID crisis, um, Agreco donated essentially 1,200 of our generators that create that kind of temporary power when you need that big surge in energy, but you can't take that off the grid. We donated 1,200 of those um, essentially to the COVID cause to say, can we provide generators as backup energy to our existing hospitals or to be able to power um, these temporary structures because if you were to take all of that power off the grid, you wouldn't be able to sustain the amount that you needed. And you also need to make sure that power is really reliable, particularly if people are potentially on ventilators, life support machines, etc. So Agreco provided these generators and donated those to the NHS. Um, and what then happened is they are providing the power. Thankfully, we haven't had to use them um, too much, given the hospitals have, have thankfully not, not been busy. Um, but they are then providing the power for those structures, as well as providing kind of air control. So what that does is just make sure that air circulates through the hospital and it makes sure it keeps, uh, maintains cleanliness, if you like, and just kind of takes out any bacteria and, and, and um, pushes the clean air through the hospital. So it's those kind of two things that Agreco within the UK have been supporting. There are similar examples of that type of thing um, around the world. Fantastic stuff. And uh, in terms of really trying to put data at the heart of the business, how has COVID-19 affected that? Yeah, no, it's really interesting. So we were already on this journey of becoming insight-driven and, and kind of really embedding data at the heart of the organisation. And I actually think that put us in a really good position when COVID hit because we really understood where our assets were, um, the condition of the assets, where they could go next, which projects we're about to start, which we're going to be delayed. So we already had quite a lot of the data that we needed um, kind of at the, at the hands of our operations teams, our engineering teams and our sales teams. Um, Agreco have inevitably been impacted by COVID, as have most organisations, um, given the kind of downturn in oil and gas, we're, we're really strongly affiliated with those. So we have seen some impact from that. But from our data perspective, in terms of the work that we are doing, we've almost seen no impact, if anything, an increase in demand for more analyses, more output forecasting and modelling to help us make the best decision as we start to come out of this crisis um, and into then best decisions towards the end of the year and into 2021. So the business as a whole has inevitably been affected. Um, we're still continuing you know, to trade. We've got lots of, kind of customers whose projects have still started with us. But from a data perspective, um, we've actually been just as busy, if not busier, um, since, since COVID hit. Fantastic. And what really interests you about working in the, the data space then? So I think it's a fantastic space to work in. And I think the thing that I, that I really love about it is that you're able then to help people understand problems a little bit better and also how they might solve them. 
And working within data is brilliant because it changes all the time. So the role that I was doing five or 10 years ago working in data is different to the role that I'm doing now. The pace of technology moves so quickly that we continually need to learn to keep up to date and, and also be able to take advantage of things that we can now do. Um, and we continually need to upskill because there's more tools, technologies, softwares, communities. So it's a brilliant and dynamic environment to be able to work in, but one that I think you can make a real impact um, in the role that you're working in, in whichever type of organisation that is. So it's a, it's a great place to work. So what would you define as some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career? Yes, I think um, the things that I think I'm, I'm most proud of are the teams that I've worked with and, and the diversity in the teams that, that I've kind of created and, and built. So the team that we work in just now has a, a fantastic level of diversity within it. Yes, we can talk about gender diversity, nationality, ethnicity and all those good things, but we have a true diversity of thought and how we approach problems. So members of the team, and that's across data science, data engineering, um, business intelligence, reporting and analysis, um, as through to the applications development team. There are people who have never been to university and have worked through different IT roles and have, have landed in, in a data team or an apps dev team um, and where they're absolutely flourishing and, and doing a brilliant job. Through to people who have been to university studying an affiliated data degree, through to people who um, have got PhDs sitting in the team. And all of that means that we just approach problems in a different way, which really gives us strength in how we approach things and making sure we make the right decisions. And actually, most recently, we've been recognised um, for some of the ways that we're approaching problems and the impact we're making in the organisation. And last year, we won the LBG um, Data Excellence Award for how we're transforming the organisation through this diversity of thought, through the actionable outcomes that we're creating um, and enabling us to become insight driven. So I'm really proud of that diversity of thought that we have in the team and the impact that we're having and how well we work together. Um, so I think those are kind of some of the highlights um, over the last few years. And tell me about a time that you affected change in a major organisation and what were the challenges that came with that? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I would say that actually any data program of work is also a change program of work. Because really what we're trying to do with data is understand the problem we're trying to solve, do some analysis in the middle, um, that may be simple analysis or, or really um, sophisticated analysis using you know, machine learning or AI. But essentially what you're trying to do is influence a decision at the end of that. And that has a human element to it in a lot of cases, um, and particularly in the organisation that we are working in. So I actually think any data programme of work really is a change programme of work. And one that kind of sticks out for me um, was, was back when I was working at Deloitte and then when I led the, the data work across public sector. And we worked with a large government body <clears throat> who wanted to affect change in how they were reporting um, <clears throat> and creating the reporting metrics um, every month that went up to, you know, essentially a cabinet secretary and others. And to be able to do that, we had to affect some technology change um, as well as some data changes across the piece, as well as then some um, business change. And it was quite challenging because the data department and that particular central government department had 500 people in it. So it was a massive department for just the data people. It was part of a 3,000 strong technology department um, that then was trying to influence essentially government. So that for me was, it was quite challenging just because of the scale that was involved in it. But the thing that actually helped us to, to make it a success was the collaboration and the relationships we built at the very outset of that programme to make people feel that they were comfortable with the programme of work that was going on, that it wasn't um, 
taking away from the information they have, but instead was adding to it and it was giving them better and deeper insight, removing some of the manual tasks that they had to do to free up their time to do some of the analysis, and then eventually making them comfortable with the output of that so they were able to use it really effectively in their day-to-day -day role. So I think that the real impact of that and, and where that was um, the programme as a success was actually just thinking about the relationships and the collaboration with all the people who had to be involved from the outset. So with that in mind, how would you describe your leadership style? So, so I would describe it as, as collaborative. Um, I think we are always smarter collectively than we are as individuals. Um, so I would say generally my leadership style is, is collaborative and um, bringing in as many different viewpoints as we can to make sure we've considered all the different options we have in the option and uh, kind of the outcomes we can take. And then after that, I would say I, I, I feel quite strongly about accountability. So once we've had a conversation and a discussion and we've decided what action we're going to take, then we're all accountable for delivering our parts of that and we kind of track against it. Um, I would always be entirely supportive um, if people are struggling or if things as they often don't um, progress smoothly and we need to kind of think about changing track. But what I would really expect is that everybody kind of contributes what they should be to the overall programme after having that had that collaborative conversation about how we're going to deliver something. So how would you communicate with a, a team member that may be struggling with a particular project or a particular aspect? First of all, I would have a conversation with them to ask them how they're doing. Um, if it was something that was unusual and that person usually you know, contributes really strongly and has, has great performance, but that's, that's changed, it's usually because something else is happening in their life that's impacting um, what they're doing. So I'd probably in, in non-COVID times, I'd take them for lunch or for a coffee um, and then to ask them how they're doing and if there was anything going on that, that you know, we should know about or that they needed help with. If they didn't respond to that and said not really, I would probably then broach and say, well, we've noticed a bit of a change um, in your performance and how you're getting on and you, you don't quite seem yourself. And I want to understand, is there something that's happening that's causing that? If they then said no, I would then coach them and, okay, well, this is what, you know, this is what we expect of you within this particular role. Um, and this is how we'd like to, you know, progress this going forward and we'll keep an eye on it and we'll track on it. But I'd always first start to understand where the challenges come from because because often it's because someone's got something else going on and if you understand that and can support them in the right way then usually then the work will, will come back up to what you expect and just moving up the chain what we find at the community is that a lot of uh, challenges that people have is with senior leadership buy-in is that the case mm -hmm. of agreco or do you do you feel like you can engage and communicate in the same way yeah, no, in fact, we're, we're really fortunate in Agreco because we have fantastic support from both our executive um, and our board for the work that we're doing in data. And I think the reason that we have that is because we're very conscious about the work that we pick up and the value we think it will add to the organisation. So we prioritise our work that we do in the data team every quarter through the Insight Steerco, which is a group of kind of senior stakeholders um, from across our global business and across those functional areas. And we discuss all of the data requests that have come into us and we prioritise those things by the value we think it'll add to the organisation, as well as the ability for us to execute, I use it easier or hard for us to do. And once we do kick off any of our projects, we do that in collaboration with that business stakeholder or SME within the organisation. And we also then create a target for us for value that we'll create at the end of that project and we track against that. So what we've been able to do very tangibly for our exec and our board is demonstrate the value that we've added through our data programs of work and then see actually as a result of 
building these models out, building these forecasting models, producing this reporting, we have affected X hours of productivity savings or X million dollars of savings. And we're really conscious about that. And we track that and review that every quarter. That then gives us the ability and the justification to continue on to grow our team for continued investment, for changes in technology, because we're demonstrating that tangible value of the work that we're doing. And because of that, we have super engagement from our executive and from our board who are really supportive of the work that we're doing and the value it's adding. Interesting. So uh, where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement in your organisation right now? Yeah. So I think there's probably a couple of things. Um, one thing is how we can continue to automate the delivery of information um, to the people who are our decision makers within our business. Um, Agreco are generally data literate. We're essentially an organization of engineers predominantly. So we've always liked data, liked analyzing it and liked using that data. Um, I think we can continue to automate how we surface that data um, to the people who are making those decisions to allow them not to have to manipulate it too much or you know cleanse it too much to be able to use it for their own types of analysis or investigation, for example, into reliability of parts. I think the second thing that we can do, which, which will really see a, a huge opportunity for us and something we're kind of actively working towards at the moment, um, is how we integrate the output of any of our data work into the applications that we own and we build. So a, a good example of that um, is in our predictive algorithms that we run. So a lot of our assets connected around the globe have IoT sensors on them. And the stream data in real time to our centralised data lake we run anomaly detection models on that data and then we push messages out to our alarm management system where a technician or an engineer can pick that up and go to have a look at the asset to understand why it's behaving anomalously. And there's a number of things that we look for within that. But that's an example of where we have entirely embedded the output of our machine learning models into an application and made it easy for, for the end consumer to be able to understand what to do next. I think there's more and more opportunity for us to be able to do that, to suggest next best action, and to really integrate all the output of our data work into operational systems to then enable that insight-driven decision-making. So, so it's kind of two things, automation of information and then, and then making it usable in an easy way. Absolutely. So uh, what do you think was the biggest mistake that you made during your career? I think that is a really difficult question. And I actually, I'm quite reflective. I have thought a little bit about uh, you know, career to date and, and the things that I've chosen. And I genuinely would say, I don't think I've made any mistakes. I think I have lots of learnings from the things that I've done. But I know more having done those things than I would not doing them. So I actually wouldn't regret uh, any of the things I've done. There's one thing I would change slightly is probably that I would have moved out of working within insurance um, and within the actuarial industry a little bit earlier on. Um, I think I kind of realised after a few years that it probably wasn't quite the thing that I wanted to do. But I hadn't yet identified what that thing would be. And it wasn't until a few years later, particularly moving into consulting and then getting to understand what different industries do in different types of roles, that I kind of started to move towards analytics, data science, um, and in the role that I do now. So if anything, I'd say I'd probably have spent a little bit less time um, where I was in actuarial when I knew it wasn't quite the right thing, but I hadn't yet kind of identified what the right, um, the right thing would be. So that's, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I think that's a very fine line between learning and a mistake. Yeah. Um, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? Um, I think probably the best piece of advice I ever, ever received is continue to be curious and to do what you love. Because if you find something that you really like, and, and I genuinely love the job that I do, everything just becomes easier um, and, and, and it just becomes much more enjoyable. 
And I think from a kind of leadership perspective, um, one of the best pieces of advice I, I was ever given was, was just to be authentic. So don't try and shape yourself into the mold of other leaders you've seen or that you, you, you maybe admire or look up to, but, but kind of find your own path and, and be your own authentic self. That really builds trust um, with your peer groups, with your teams, um, with the execs and others. Um, so I think those kind of two pieces of being curious, doing what you love, and then um, you know, just making sure that uh, you're authentic in the things that you do. What's your top working from home tip? Um, take some breaks. Uh, don't don't sit on VC constantly all day. Um, it becomes tiring actually for your eyes, and it's I find it more exhausting than sitting in face to face meetings. Actually, sitting on a screen all day. So definitely take some breaks. Go and have a coffee break and schedule some time in for just chit chat with the team, the same way you would when you were walking past someone's desk or catching up with someone. And that's really important as well to keep those relationships and the team strong and keep those friendships going well. And particularly when we're all working remotely. What are you curious about right now? I'm curious about where data is going to go and where it's going to take us. And and actually, I'm also curious about what will happen post COVID. Um, with working in technology and the reason I say that is I think that given that this crisis has hit um, it's totally transformed the way most organizations are now working and having to work remotely and with all of their staff when that actually that might not have been the case for a lot of organizations before now so I'm really interested to understand when we start to get to whatever the new normal will be and whenever that might be how that will change the technology industry and whether we might actually start to see higher levels of remote working or dispersed teams potentially globally when you would have had local teams kind of sitting um, all together. So I'm interested to see what the longer term impacts of this might be. I think it's inevitable it will change in some way, but I wonder how far that will change and how, how much organisations will continue on and working in this way as we go forward. And from a data perspective, I'm just interested to see how we continue to embed that um, across the decisions that we're making in organisations and across society. So how government are starting to use data to make better decisions. But again, I think COVID is a really good example of that where we're, there's lots of great studies going on just now and you've got track and trace and all these other things. It's really just starting to come to the fore, I think, and I'll be interested to see over the next few years where that goes next. Yeah, we've had some pretty interesting government leaders on the, the podcast recently who are championing yeah. the use of, of data in government as well. Yeah. Uh, who's your favourite thought leader or author, whether that's in the data space or, or outside? Um, I'd probably say I've got a couple. So one of my favourite um, thought leaders on leadership is Simon Sinek. Um, I think his books are fantastic. His approach is fantastic. Um, and he's got lots of really good TED Talks for, for people who don't know him yet, just as this quick intro. So Simon Sinek, I, I really like. Um, and also one of my the other people I look up to is Michelle Obama. Um, so I, I read her autobiography a, a couple of years ago when it came out and, and kind of read through her life story and kind of where she ended up and how she got to be where she is. And it was a really excellent example of someone maintaining authenticity, um, I think, through, through the career that she had and, and currently does have. And also maintaining integrity, even within the position that, that she then, her and, and Barack obviously got to. Um, in the US. So I would say those are two people that I would look up to in terms of their overall approach and leadership style um, that I would look to. And what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? So I think I would go back to kind of some of the advice I've been given. So, so continue to be curious, like this data world changes all the time. Um, you know, we're in a totally different position than we were five years ago with the advancements in technology and, and, and how people are starting to use that. 
So just continue to be curious and um, reach out and join some networks. There are some fantastic networks that, that happen kind of all across the UK um, and data that you could reach out to, meet some other peers, meet some other people who are a few steps ahead of you, get some advice from them. People are always willing to share. Um, and I think that's a fantastic thing. And actually one of the benefits I think of COVID has been that those networks are now able to be more global than local. So I've now joined quite a few meetups in the evening when there are people from all around the world on them. When before that might have been a face-to-face -face meetup somewhere in London or in, in you know, Edinburgh or Glasgow, um, when it would be a smaller group of people. So I actually think it's, it's kind of opened up those networks for us from across a kind of global perspective. As I say, like everyone's willing to help and, and willing to share experience and advice. It's a nice community to be part of. Absolutely. And uh, great advice from Elizabeth Hollinger from Agreco. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Thank you.